Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. It's Wednesday morning, bright and early, and I have Donnie Vincent in the house. Uh, man, I appreciate you coming over. I appreciate uh, the invite, or I believe maybe I invited myself. Probably, but you can invite yourself whenever you want. Um, yeah. We, uh, we try not to bug you too much because kind of bounce it off how bad my schedule is, and I think his is probably worse, so you don't get pestered very often. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, and that's how it falls. It falls with me saying, Aaron, I'm going to be in Denver do you have some time between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. that you want to talk? Because that's when we're free. <laughs> yeah, and this one worked out good because you're going to the OR show, and um, I'm heading down to go out at honey or um, guide out at hunters and then try and hunt. So this worked out great because I'm head out tomorrow and you got to go to the show. So, yeah, man, there's all kinds of stuff to talk about. But one of the, the biggest thing I wanted to bring up, if you want to shoot the shit about it, is uh, we're going to be going on a, a bear hunt, uh, and it'll be basically your first traditional archery hunt up in Alberta. Yeah. I mean, not even basically my first, 100% my first. <laughs> if we're if we're throwing out a, a few minute hunt for cottontails when I was eight years old with a fiberglass, right? Yeah. This will be, <laughs> this will be the first. Yeah. Yeah. At, uh, it'll be, it'll be good. I, uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited because you contacted me, you had coordinated the hunt and asked if I wanted to go and I, I've shot a bunch of bears, so I was like, ah, let me talk to the guy. And they, it is a first-class outfit that shoots giant bears. So I was like, holy cow, when I was looking at the photos of the size of the bears. So I was pretty excited about that as well. Yeah, I know. Um, so I've never done a bait hunt ever. And um, I, I went on a bait hunt years ago with a with a good friend of mine just to shoot photos of him while he was hunting with him and his son. And I was flabbergasted at how many bears we saw it was unbelievable to watch them unbelievable to watch their biology and yes it wasn't entirely natural because they're coming in at the place that we were they were coming in to eat oats and uh, beaver carcasses Mm -hmm. but it was just to watch their biology to watch their engagement with each other and a young bear would come in and he'd eat you know i'm watching this young bear eat as fast as possible and originally i'm thinking i have no idea why he's eating as fast as possible and then all of a sudden he's books out of there and here comes the next size right and so originally i basically reached out to you and just said i'm ready to pour myself into the stick bow this spring i've never done a baited bear hunt i think this might be a a very good option first option and and you basically said i was about to call you and try to talk you into saying you know this this should be your very first yeah stick bow hunt like this whether whether you're a, a baited bear hunter or not this is a very good option for a first go out the stick. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's some, um, I don't say controversy. Some people don't like baited hunts. Yeah. And on the conservation side of things or the, put in perspective, you see a bear in Colorado, you're probably shooting, right? You just you don't see them very <laughs> yeah. often. Yeah. Where Whether you, you like baited hunts or not, what you get to do is shoot the oldest, maturest bear because you can pick and choose. Yeah. From a, a totally biased standpoint on me, I'm a photographer. You're a videographer and a photographer. Yeah. I like to take pictures of them. Well, pretty difficult to do <laughs> to get good photos of bears, unless you're in a park or something. But, yeah. you know, you get to see, like you were talking about, the twitchy, you know, five-year-old that's 220 pounds scared to death. It's kind of cool watching, like you say, the behavior of – the bear and the age and the dominance, how each of them act as they come in. Mm-hmm. And then you see finally the, the cock of the walk come in who just basically is all postured up and kind of, you know, rolls his way in and everything's running from him. 
it is cool watching that kind of animal behavior in a more controlled environment, which is cool. And, and again, you also get to, I mean, you get to get, shoot the most mature, largest yeah, yeah, bear. Yeah. So, And I've heard, you know, I've heard guys, I've had not arguments, but I'm a very open-minded hunter. I like, I surround myself, you know this, I surround myself with the biology more than anything. And I surround myself with writing stories about it because I see everything in little pictures, just like you do as a photographer. And, and I want to describe them and write about them and, and the intrinsic values that I'm feeling when I'm, when I'm hunting. But I've had these discussions with guys about mule deer. They're saying, oh man, you whitetail hunters, you're, all you're doing is hunting bed to food. That's all you're doing. It's super easy. Anyone can do it. You know, and then I ask them what they're doing with a mule deer and you're either spotting him in his bed or you're spotting him on his way to food or you're spotting him while he's looking for sex. And with these bears, if you talk to anyone that has shot a black bear, they're shooting them off a slope that's growing fresh grass. You're shooting them off of a salmon stream. Or berries, something. Berries. Yep. <laughs> you're, you're, I'll never forget, uh, years and years and years ago, I did a rough grouse study for the University of Minnesota. And I had to hike seven days a week. I had to hike 30 kilometers through the very best bear territory you could ever imagine in the Chippewa National Forest. I'd hike, I'd start very, very early in the morning. I'd hike 15 kilometers to from point A to point B. Then once I reach point B, I turn around and hike the exact same 15 kilometers back. I do it seven days a week, prime bear habitat. And all of that time I saw one bear <laughs> and it was a monster. It was a monster when we met each other on a trail a few feet apart. But other than that, it's, it's something that they're so secretive in the springtime, particularly their, their habitat is full of food as the end of May and June rolls around. Obviously they are going through their rut and, uh, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a unique, I was a person that never really wanted to go on a baited bear hunt. Then I went on a baited bear hunt with my buddy, like I just said, and like I watching it was insane. It's different. It's kind of like a, uh, running a mountain lion with dogs. Yeah. A lot of people are like, that's not my thing. I'm like, well, have, have you, you done it? it? Yeah. And see, I, you know, it's like, see, it wasn't my thing either <laughs> until I did it. And I thought, man alive, man alive. And, and that's a, you know, with a predator management, when you go to specific places, like I did the predator hunt with Bart and you shoot a lynx and a bobcat, a lion and a wolf in, in five days and you shoot, you know, three of those with a stick and you don't see one deer. Well, there's a, pretty high chance that there may be a predator problem yeah. and it's difficult to hunt predators without dogs it's very the good thing is you can pick and choose like we treat a few females um younger adults you just pull the dogs off let them go and you shot a tank of a cat too two two years ago two years ago and i'm actually going on that hunt again february 20th yeah you know and your views may be different but it's hard to get people to understand that conservation isn't about just about keeping things living it's also sometimes harvesting or killing animals to help things live and that's of course my redneck way of looking at it but if you're looking for when you talk about conservation um and that that word gets thrown out a lot you know i see it on instagram yeah somebody i'll be at a full draw and hashtag conservation yeah. like, well, what are you doing to help conservation yeah. bullet full draw so you know i'm like well if you're looking at the conservation of mule deer, yeah. okay, well, you might need to shoot a lion, right? Yeah. Because there's too many lions, there's not enough mule deer. Yeah. People have a tough time grasping that, that sometimes you, you have to take animals out of the gene pool to help other ones in, in, the, in the big circle, yeah. grand scheme of things, especially when you're dealing with grizzlies, wolves, yeah. and mountain lions 
all in the same yeah, spot. Yeah, like you and I have discussed this when I think we discussed this. Um, obviously, I've spent a lot of time with wolves, and I think you and I discussed the, my affinity of just I've enjoyed being around them. But years ago, when I was in the Arctic and in the the video clips that you've seen, who we are. Yeah. Um, I, I ran into that pack of wolves a few times and, and I'll never forget when the pilot picked me up, I was there for 23 days. The pilot picked me up and he said, you know, he said, did you see any moose? And I said, yes, a ton. He said, did you see any black bears? Yes. Grizzlies? Yes. Wolves? Yes. And, and I said, I saw a lot of wolves and he said, did you shoot any? And I said, no, because I hadn't done mistakenly. And I'm, I'm not, you know, this, I'm not a wolf hunter, I'm not against shooting them by any means. I'm not telling you I never would shoot one given the right opportunity. I, probably certainly would, but I didn't do my research of that area. And so I had no notion of where the wolves were. And so I just, when he picked me up, he said, do you see any wolves? And I said, yeah, I saw probably, I don't know, 15 wolves, something like that, 10 to 15 wolves in two different packs. One was a small pack. One was probably eight or nine wolves. And, and he asked me if I kill any and I said, no. And he said, oh, and I said, why? And he said, well, they're just kind of, he said, there's, there's good balance in this valley, but it's starting to swing towards the wolf. They're starting to successfully kill cow moose. And I know you and I have, have discussed this before. Like I've looked in, I'm, when I'm walking in the tundra, I see piles of redback voles. When I look in the majority of wolf crap, I'm seeing small vertebrae and I'm seeing redback vole fur. But when the wolves are hunting the moose, it's not when I'm there hunting the moose. Right, they're doing it later in the year, so I'm not a witness of this. Their poop isn't holding moose hair, so it's not like I can walk around the area in September and and make a determination of the pressure that wolves are bringing to the moose. And so, same with lions, same with same with grizzly bears. I'm I'm glad you said that because you did me with Rogan. You did a podcast and you were talking about that, and people asked me, and I said it's you know the guys are like Donnie's full of shit, and I said it's not that he's full of shit. He is a hundred percent correct at that time. Because if you go in your fridge and you're out of food and all you have is, I don't know, whatever, breadsticks. You're a fan of breadsticks. Yeah, that's what you're eating. And at different times of the year, I'm 100%, the wolves are going to eat different things. And so, you know, in the case of like where I was at in a few different spots in BC, there's far more ungulates and prime, you know, mule deer and and, and that that is the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Where... I don't know if you remember um, the Never Cry Wolf oh, movie yeah. from, okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I had Amy watch that right yeah. after. Farley Mowat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that book, I watched the movie, and, at, you know, Amy was asking, and I said, you know, the thing to do a full study, right, you have to pay attention of what's going on, because so the caribou migration starts, I have no doubt the wolves are crushing caribou. Absolutely. But when there's no caribou there, right, they like to live, they're yeah. going to eat whatever the hell is around, just yeah. like... You know me, I love peanut butter. No peanut butter in the house. I'm going to be a fan of bananas. Whatever the hell is yeah. in there, I'm hungry. Yeah. And the the problem you get when you that I see is when you start getting multiple predators, especially, and, and you include wolves in that. That's why I'm worried about them coming to Colorado. It's not that I'm against wolves in Colorado. Yeah. I'm against too many wolves. Yeah, you'd be a Colorado. fool. You'd be a fool to be against any singular animal. You have to start looking at the picture. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, guys ask me, and I'm like, you know, I don't. Colorado is fine. It doesn't need any help. So I don't really understand why the hell they want wolves in Colorado, but I'm not. Wolves are cool, right? I don't have any issue with wolves. Yeah, yeah. It's the management of the wolf 
after it's introduced that scares the shit out of me because they're hard to kill, right? <laughs> they're very hard. That's to an kill. understatement. And if you let them go for too long, it's like anything, it is going to be difficult to get a handle on them. And if it comes through, in the case of Colorado, the way it has, which seems to be a little bit under the sheets and some backhanded it's, things it's going a, on. My opinion is, and I'm uneducated on it, but I'm guessing that they are bringing it in because as, as you know, I think Steve Ranella says it, it's an attractive megafauna. And that's what it is. It's this almost the same reason that grizzly bears were closed down in BC is the same reason they probably want to bring wolves to Colorado because they want to put it on a brochure and they want tourists that are going to drive and not leave the freeway Yep. to understand that, oh, we have wolves like Yellowstone, come visit Colorado. It seems cool, right? It and, seems and cool. It's cool to hear them howl. That's and right. You don't have to be close to hear them howl. You know, I get a kick out of it because no one's begging for grizzlies to come back. Because they eat people. They eat people. Wolves <laughs> don't. I mean, if you, and I, I am educated on this, but you'd be hurt, pretty hard pressed to look in the last decade to find more than maybe one or two wolf-human interactions that were negative. Very. very I mean, if you, if you hear them, you can pretty much start hanging your hat on bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So grizzlies... Much different numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Grizzlies, and I've had, which you have a lot of experience with brown, well, grizzlies more than brown bear. Mm -hmm. They're a problem. They're coming, right? I've been charged multiple times and had them in camp. You know, wolves don't come and poke their nose, you know, rubbing it against your tent, right? Grizzlies do. Yeah. Had it happen. Well, so no one's begging for grizzlies, in my opinion, because they're going to eat everything. Well, not everything. There's going to be problems. Yeah. Where with a wolf... They do keep to themselves on the human side of things. They eat everything we want to hunt, but mm-hmm. they don't, they're not going to, probably not going to eat your neighbor's, you know, cat initially, right? They're, yeah, once initially. Once they plow through all the ungulates, they're coming to eat your dogs and your mm-hmm. cat. My my wife, right, was not a hunter in the beginning. She's hunting now and mm-hmm. killed some animals and her family, family's friends. They're the people that I try to educate, like, hey, look at the the big picture of, of things here. Like, and I'll pull up videos like wolves do eat dogs, right? They'll, no problem at all. Um, you know, and they'll come in the yard, you know, they got to eat. Like we were talking, if there's nothing else around, they're going to eat house cats. They're yeah. going to eat, you know, pet dog, tame dogs. They're going to yeah. eat house dog, whatever. What I worry about with them coming here, how they came in or how they're going to come in is a little bit underhanded. And obviously you can go to any place where there's a farmer's market. There's going to be people there that have never seen a wolf, never been in the wilderness with a, hey, petition. To, yeah, petition. Bring wolves into Colorado. Mm-hmm. You can ask them 15 questions, and by about question three of the 15, you can tell they have mm-hmm. no clue what they're talking about, which is kind of what you're saying is, ah, wolves are cool. I'd mm-hmm. like to hear them howl. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of uneducated decisions where I'm like, oh, nothing good is going to come out of this. That and the fact that all Department of Wildlife agents have put on a gag order, they can't talk about it. It's also a red flag, <laughs> yeah. right? Like if they're put on a gag order, that means they probably weren't for it as a whole, yeah. but they don't want them to talk about it. All those things make me nervous. And I just, I've seen what can happen. Curious on your take of this. If you go through history there's going to be huge upswing of ungulates. Mm-hmm. And then there's a huge upswing of predators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They eat all the ungulates. Then they have to eat themselves or die off. And then there's a downswing of predators. Then there's an upswing of ungulates. Humans can help balance that That's out right. a bit. Yep. It's that part where I think it's hard to get the point across to people. Right. There's got to be a balance. Pe- people are super passionate. In Minneapolis, there's, I think we may have discussed this last time, but in Minneapolis, there's a massive billboard that says, save the wolf. And there's a, it's a coyote on the billboard. 
That's pretty funny. Yeah, save I don't the think wolf. We talked about that. Gi- I would remember that. Giant photo of a coyote, <laughs> and I just thinking, yeah, great. And there is, there's these relationships, and I, um, it's been a long time since I've been in college, but I think the relationship is called a, a latka volterra is the uh, equation of the inner engagement between ungulates and wolves. And there's a an island um, in Lake Superior called um, Isle Royale. Mm-hmm. They have a wolf population there. They have a moose population there. And I think now both are dead or nearly dead. Like they would go through these big swings. Wolves would be up, moose would be down, and then they'd, they'd toggle. And yeah. they'd, they'd reach harmony in the middle for a little bit. But w- And I'm extremely pro-wolf. I think they're amazing. When I see them, all animals... I was going to say few animals, but the truth is all when I'm outside, when I'm hunting, hiking, scouting, kayaking, rafting, whatever it is, all animals from, and I mean this, and it annoys my friends, from a songbird to a grizzly bear basically stop me in my tracks. Like I will take it in and see what's going on. I'll try to speciate it, look at it. What is it doing? Yeah, break it down. Break it down. But when you see a wolf everyone stops this is something you're going to rarely see in your life yeti and a unicorn yeti and a unicorn yeah that's right you are (laughs) stopping and so i'm very much appreciate the wolf but what i would beg to the question that i would ask colorado is when's the last time the wolf was here Mm -hmm. what has changed in the state as far as open territories populations of ungulates where the people trending where's the loss of habitat how is the human population doing um i'd say (laughs) <laughs> you know, my personal belief is I'd say if I were Colorado, I'd look at your weed problem before I'd, before I'd start creating a wolf problem. I drove here at, I got up at 4.30 this morning to come here and I'd say about one in every three cars was smoking weed in front of me on the way here. But, yep. um, <laughs> but, but Colorado's changed since the wolf was last here. Yeah. And wolves are an interesting animal, right? We don't have domesticated mountain lions, but wolves are dogs, I don't know, less than 20,000 years ago, let's just call it 15,000 years ago. I really don't know when, but 13 to 20,000 years ago, we domesticated the dog. And the reason we did is because as humans started to develop their agriculture and started to stay in one place, wolves started coming in to eat our scraps because wolves are, to some extent, they're obviously carnivores, but they're omnivorous, right? So as wolves run out of that caribou or that redback vole or you know, there are wolves that fish. As wolves run out of this food, they're going to encroach in the human population. That's how we domesticated dogs. So I would just urge color. I mean, the places that wolves live right now, fantastic. Should we return them to original areas? Um, I'm not against that in the least, but I just think there needs to be, a, I mean, biological reintroductions, I think by most part fail to some extent. No, I, I would, as a as a uneducated person in that from what I've on the outside looking in would agree to to that and part of the problem is 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 it the same species of wolf that was here before yeah as I understand it it is it is not and I always say you know you don't release muskies in your trout pond if you like trout fishing yeah because they just well you're in the land of the muskie right yeah. they eat everything, everything right amazing fish I mean I love catching them mm-hmm. so I'm about as much pro wolf as I am pro muskie if I'm trying to catch trout, if this makes any sense. So, yeah. but if it can be regulated and I can go to Lake of the Woods and catch walleye, muskie, and I can catch them all, yeah. big area, right? Yeah. Big lake, right? I can catch everything. There's enough 
land or water for habitat. All of them. Yep, habitat's habitat. king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you go to. I wouldn't be sitting here doing a podcast with you, and unless it was antagonistic. If your stance was let's remove the wolves from BC, let's remove the wolves from Northwest Territories, from the Yukon, from Alaska. Uh, from Quebec, from if that was your stance to remove the wolves from all of these places that they thrive right now, uh, we would have very little to see eye to eye. Yeah, to discuss. It's bringing them down into the lower 48 where they've been extirpated for a very long time. And you you get animals like, like what I was just talking about with the domestication of dogs is where we kind of create an issue. But lions, you know, it's an entirely different predator. Grizzly bears, an entirely different predator. All of these things need some regulation. I, I mean, we are now... Two years from the closing of Grizzlies in BC. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be working on the third. Now, yeah, so there's yeah. going to be a there's going to be a uh, I mean just a landslide of a mess there. There's and there's already problems now. You Are know, there? Yeah, I mean obviously I have a lot of friends up there. When I say the thing that keeps grizzlies or brown bears grizzlies in like BC mm-hmm. away from humans is the fact they learn oh humans can shoot us right mm-hmm. or it's some danger. Mm-hmm. Now, like I was up there and I'm riding by them on mountain bikes, right? Well, they had something to eat at the time. What What if they didn't? What if there was a cub around? There's a lot of variables. Mm-hmm. It's where problems come. Those problems are minimal when the numbers are controlled. Mm-hmm. They get worse and worse. The numbers mm-hmm. aren't. It's going to be damn good hunting when it's legal again because there's bears everywhere. And it, and and it will be legal again. Yeah, yeah. And they're not afraid of humans. Yeah. So it's going to be easier to shoot them. Yeah. Where with wolves, they they don't act the same um, you can't run a wolf with a dog. It's difficult to bait them, but you can you can bait a wolf if you need it to. Mm-hmm. Trapping is generally the, the best way to do it. I don't really want to pick through the weeds too much as far as controlling them, as long as there is a, like I said, if, if the habitat's there, mm-hmm. doesn't bother me, right? As long as there's a plan to keep them under control and, the lo- you know, keep the numbers normal, because it is cool to see a wolf, mm-hmm. right? It's also cool for me to shoot a wolf, like, I didn't have any issues shooting one, and I would have shot more if I could. Absolutely. But I also know there's too damn many of them where I was yeah. at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people ask me why I'm not into hunting a polar bear. I don't think the numbers are doing that great from the outside looking in. I'm fine with taking a po- picture of them. Mm-hmm. But I'll shoot the shit out of a black bear and a grizzly because I know there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. A rhino. Not my thing. Right? I don't have anybody against shooting a rhino. Mm-hmm. Not my cup of tea. Right? Giraffes the same way. I'm not anti-giraffe. I just think of Toys R Us, and it just doesn't trip my trigger. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it if there's too many of them. And honestly, if I was in Africa and there was an old bull giraffe beating the shit out of the other giraffes, they said, hey, man, we need to take this out of the gene pool. I'll shoot it, you know. But again, I'm not – I don't know how your view is on that. When you start talking about these – someone's going to shoot it. It's yeah. just not going to be me. Yeah, Right? Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not my thing. I'm the same. You put it in like, hey, do you want to go on a pick stone sheep hunt? I'll hang off a cliff and damn near die to kill one. Yes. Numbers are good. Epic hunt, epic animal. And there's going to be quite a bit of adventure in there. If I'm rolling up to a giraffe, you know, in the back of a whatever Toyota Hilux and I hop out and shoot it, for me, that's just not me. And I'm not as, as uh, I always say, Donnie Vincent to shit out of it. You are more about the writing and the, the telling the story of the yeah. hunt. Yeah. A little bit better at, well, a lot better at it than I am. There's not as much of a story to hopping out and shooting a giraffe. I'm not saying if a giraffe needs to be taken out of the gene pool, yeah. I wouldn't shoot one. Yeah, if yeah, he's yeah. Just, that's a conservation thing. And, and if I'm a conservationist, I'm a common sense conservationist because I'm probably not going to write a story about the giraffe other than this is why I shot it. It made total sense, and this is why I did it. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm certainly not going to go over just to shoot a damn giraffe. No. It's not my thing. No, and you'll, and you'll photograph people eating it and, and skinning it or whatever it is, breaking it down. because That's part it's of the story. It's yeah. interesting in that regard. But I've said this before, and I don't recall where, but if I was in Africa and somebody said, here's, I'll pay you a million dollars to shoot a giraffe, I, the, the answer is no. I'm not going to take the money. I'm not going to shoot the giraffe. If, if I'm in Africa and somebody comes to me and says, we have a massive giraffe problem in this river valley, we need to shoot 10 giraffes, grab a rifle, we're going out for four days, we need to shoot 10 bulls, I'm in. I'll do it for free. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to take, I, I'm not going to go and hunt a giraffe on what is a, allegedly an, an adventure hunt. I'm not going to yeah. go and, but if, if we need to regulate giraffes, it's the same thing. There are animals, and I don't know what the trigger is in my head, although I think I know, is separating predators. And I, I know some people have real issues with hunting predators, and I don't, I never want to do a cat hunt until I did one. And everything about a cat hunt is sensational other than shooting it out of the tree. That's the only thing that is, that's the only little black spot on it. Hunting them, knowing about them, watching them, removing them, all very good things. Shooting an animal that's treed is, is um, that's the lackluster part of it. But it, essentially, predators have a special... Um, place in our hearts they need to be regulated bear meat tastes far better than people give it credit for mountain lion meat tastes far better than people give it credit for i've never eaten wolf um, but these are all animals that we need to regulate because we human beings have overstepped our habitat we've overused our areas thus pushing everything out of swing when you start looking at other ungulates and other animals that are prey type items if you will whether they be bovine or or ungulates, true ungulates. It's some of these things, like if, if I was going to Africa to hunt, to do a wild hunt for Cape Buffalo, I'm 100% on board. Nearly everything else in Africa, I just want to see it with a camera. I've never went to Africa. Me, nor have I. trip my trigger. To me either. So, we live in North America. Yeah. yeah. And would I go, right circumstance, I might go over there, right? I mean, I, it, but it's not a lot of other hunts I want to do yeah. before that one. And, I, you know, I'm... I'm uh, I like shooting stuff, you know. I, I do like. I mean, it. It appears it, to be that way. Yes. Um. But there's also a. There's got to be an excitement for me. Yeah. Africa's not there for me. It's just not. Like if you said, hey, uh, you know, Aaron, we need to go. Well, I just did it. They're down and do a coal hunt in Texas. Primary thing is those deer in northern Texas are about as good as Axis deer, and I eat about 500 pounds of red meat a year mm-hmm. or or wild game. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. There's too many of them. I get to eat them, and I get to test broadheads. I get to shoot. I get the adventure of it. I get to see. There's nothing like watching a cracked out deer come in and how they act in comparison to a. Not to get into a total different subject. You bait deer. They turn. Di- they're different animals once you start baiting them. And there's certain states you can. You can't. And a wild deer coming through the woods is different than a deer coming through the woods to go eat corn. They just act different. I. I don't want to get into the baiting thing or not but once it's legal there's not a whole lot you can do about it and watching those deer and how they act they turn into a kid in Somalia okay he's been in combat since birth you look at how a kid in Somalia acts compared to a kid in downtown Denver on a Nintendo or playing on his phone they're different mm-hmm. and so I just it's it's cool for me to watch all these things mm-hmm. because I'm learning the goods and the bads and it may not be good may not be bad you know, but you learn this entire time. So you're educated about that specific situation and I get to eat them and I like that. Yeah. Well, with Africa, 
I just don't give a shit because I don't know. When I say I don't give a shit, I just don't know enough about mm. all the different things in Africa to make an educated, you know, opinion of of anything about the aspect of the biology of it because I've never been over there. I'm a North American guy. And so people ask me, you know, what do you think about shooting lions? And I'm like, well, I can tell you if you ask them over there, they're going to probably be pro shooting the lions and their problem. Yeah. Here in America, we hate it. We chastise people. We death threats. That guy that went over to shoot Cecil. Yeah. Walt Palmer. Yeah. And they wanted Cecil dead because he was such a pain in the butt. Right. You know, and then you look at. I just was shooting bows with Walt the other day, believe it or not. Yeah. He seems like a cool dude from what people have told yeah, me. Yeah, in, in fact, it was really funny because there was a picture where we were shooting, there was a picture of quote-unquote Cecil. Yeah. And I go, oh, I go, oh, Walt, look at, that's that's Cecil right there, right? And he goes, no, 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 that's, I shot that lion 10 years before I shot Cecil, but that's the lion that they used on the news to call it <laughs> Cecil. So he's like, no, Cecil didn't look anything like that, but that's the lion that everyone saw that thought was Cecil. Oh, Lord. Well, I've gotten into huge arguments with guys about, you know, when you talk about the conservation aspect you can't stop time and so if there's a a rhino a lion my buddy alex just went over and shot a lion at the end of their years they don't breed and they beat the shit out of everything and they don't let anything else breed yeah you're not going to really convince me that's a bad thing to take that thing out because he's he's fucking up the gene pool right he's not letting things breed i'm all about that i may not be the guy pulling the trigger but i don't have any issue with that yeah when people, especially Americans, we're the worst, dive in and just blueprint it. That's a lion. You shouldn't kill it. You're going to go to hell. We need to kill you. You're bad. It's like, well, back off and let's look at the biology of it. Like, if he's beating up all the other lions and they can't breed, he's hurting the gene pool, right? He's the biology of it. He's bad. He needs to be taken out. Americans have a hard time. Common sense, I guess, is, is difficult for Americans and the wolves are no different if it makes sense, truly makes sense, mm-hmm. I don't have any issue with it. No, <laughs> and, and and you're going to struggle likely, as long as it's done respectfully. That's my, that's my bugaboo. But you're probably more than anything going to struggle to shoot enough wolves. You're going to struggle to trap enough wolves. And yeah. I have friends that trap wolves and, you know, they call me like a kid in the candy. Does Bart trap wolves? No, he doesn't. He can't. But, oh, can't. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. But I was going to say, it, it is... It is not something that comes easy. You know, I have friends that will send me, they'll send me pictures and they're like, look where this wolf literally walked all around my trap, did everything, stole the bait. He's on his 10th time stealing the bait and I still haven't even laid eyes on him, let alone caught him. Yeah, it's interesting. I got to semi-interrupt and throw this in the middle. Do you know who Davey Hughes is? You own Swazi? Oh, no, not, not firsthand, but I know Swazi. He's here to do a podcast when we're done. I'm going to actually have him hop in in a little bit in the middle of ours, if you don't mind. No, I don't. Because you like him. He's an interesting individual. Okay, he's right basically on. a Bushman that he's, he's your kind of guy. So okay. here in a few minutes, we're going to stop this one and have him hop okay. on. Okay. Just because yeah. you, you got time. What time you got to get out of here? Oh, I don't. I, I, have, I have tons Perfect. of time. I don't have to be to OR for, uh, for whatever this, this afternoon. Well, before we grab him, let's talk about the traditional archery side of this. Yeah. We What's, started out with a bear hunt. Yeah. Everything's went to hell after that. Yeah. What, what, what has driven you? I know what made me do it, which was totally different reasons. You, I just did it to prove a point. Now I'm addicted to it and I can't stop. It's yeah. just amazing. What's made you like, all right. Cause I know you're still going to shoot a compound, but what's made you like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, you know, this is it. I'm going to try this and put both feet first. You know, I don't, I don't have something to hang my hat on other than the piece of wood itself 
says something. The history of it says something. The lethality of it says something. And I like getting close. Yep. I like the quietness. I like being forced to get in there and watch the world around you come to life and and exist and problem solve what the animals are doing. And I just think that shooting one is pile of fun. I, I thought it was more fun to shoot one before I met Tom Clum and Joel Turner and and originally yourself because then once I learned the mechanics of it, mm-hmm. it was way less fun for a short amount of time because I just thought that this is nearly impossible to get your hand <laughs> in this position and to, and to do all this stuff. But now that I'm, as as Joel would state it, now that I'm making mental shortcuts, which which we all do, and and um and it's a bad it's a it's a good way to develop process. It's a bad way to get lazy, but as long as you're mindful and hitting your marks. Um, it's just, I know people say it's romantic. It's not what I mean, but it's romantic, right? It's, I'm about the farthest thing from, to say the word romantic, it's romantic. But right? you do it too. Yeah. Oh, it's bad yeah. for me. Cause I've never once sat on a mountain, looked over at my compound and got mountain wood. I yeah. look at that stick bow laying yeah, on the side yeah. of the mountain and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, and again, I didn't get into it for that reason yeah you got into it totally different reasons but now yeah you were drawing a line in the sand right you were you were saying i don't know if this weapon's as amazing as everyone states it is basically i i did a podcast on effective shooting distance because i was horrible with compound i'd shoot shit well over 100 yards away got a bunch of people message me i'm a horrible person pick up a stick bow you're not gonna kill anything and i'm like all right yeah I'll try it. Yeah, let's do it. Yep. I did it at first to prove people wrong. Quickly after that, I've become so addicted to it, I can't stop. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, my wife, I don't know how I drive her crazy. All night last night, I'm prepping to go out dad, spinning arrows, sharpening, you know, fletching arrows, just ready to go. And now it is addictive to see that arrow fly through the air. Yeah. I mean, it is It is just something that when you get inside of 10 yards with an animal and you truly beat him, whether you shoot him or not, obviously, it's a bonus if you do. That is much different than where I was five years ago of, uh, there he is at 80 and shooting him. Now I'm at 80 and I got four hours left potentially in a stock. I could be pinned down 26 yards away for three hours till he stands up. I like that. I'm addicted to it. I mean, the badge of honor I have now is when I, I shot that thing at eight feet away. Where the badge of honor before was, oh, dude, I shot that thing at 114 yards. It's just different and trying to explain that to people and how much fun it is. And, and, and truly, animal behavior, you will find more about animals if you're successful with a recurve than you ever will with a compound. Because oh, yeah. you you got to watch them for so yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. It's so hard. And to me, what I think you'll find, you know, we'll do this first hunt. And I, I think what you'll find is you'll probably shoot some animals with a, like if you go on a doll sheep hunt, you, probably, you might grab a stick boat, may grab the compound. It's a more difficult animal. But... There's going to be some hunt, spot and stock mule deer, mountain goat. It's just badass going in the mountains after yeah. with a stick bow. It and I'll is. definitely do sheep with a stick bow once I get to that point. Once you and I work through this process, Tom and I, Joel and I, once we get through this process and I'm starting to find what you've already found and I'm starting to achieve, if I even can, right? I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not sta- st- overstating my talents or abilities, but if I can get to this 30, 40, 50, like Tom Clum gets upset. Um, I don't know if he would ever state this publicly or if he has, but you know, it really annoys him when people say a, a recurve is a 20 yard and under weapon. It does annoy him. Yeah. He's yeah. Cause he, he's like, it's a very effective weapon at 40, 50, 
he I've never heard him say beyond 50, but he's, he's saying if you pour yourself into this, it's a very effective weapon out to 50. We just had did a podcast at Kalamazoo with him, and he talked about, like, my ability to shoot 40 and 45. Mm-hmm. I, I can keep it a paper plate easy, but good days of softball. Yeah. I'm not going to always take that shot. It's going to need to be a bedded animal or one feeding. But, I mean, it's arguable that I am far more effective 30 and in with a stick than I was with a compound because it's quicker, right? You mm-hmm. got no peep sight. You got, you don't have to, you know, everything's faster. It's more fluid. I th- I think, you know, you have to put the effort in to have that. Mm-hmm. But I'm as successful or more successful with a stick, and I'm shooting bigger animals than I was with a compound. Yeah, isn't that funny? So you, you can't, well, the biggest problem is, is with a compound, I was lazy. Something would pop up at 80, and I would shoot it. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got two or three hours to assess the situation, right? There, there may mm-hmm. be other deer I missed or, or whatever. And the other thing, too, is I, when I hurt my shoulder on my goat hunt, I couldn't draw my bow all the way back um, the night before. It's like horrible timing, right? Mm-hmm. I was pulling an air out of a target. I pulled a rib out. I didn't know at the time. I pulled a rib out, yeah. flexed into my rhomboid. Yeah, I come back in the house and I said, honey, I, I can't draw my bow. And she's like, next morning, 4 a.m., I'm down sitting in a, you know, pity, like a pity puddle, right? Like Eeyore. I'm like, I'm going to shoot this thing with a gun. And she came down. She's like, bring your bow. You will find a way. Basically, man up, dude. Mm-hmm. dude. Like, and she, I'm like, so we, we went out and I'm like, Frank, I got to get close. He's like, how close? And I'm like, um, feet. Like, well, we'll do what we can do. And I ended up shooting it at 24 feet away or something. Yeah. It was close. Yeah. That kind of challenge is, you know, super cool. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty badass. And if you, um, if you told somebody, you know, if you show them a herd of stone sheep or a, whatever it is, a herd of elk or a herd of moose and, and uh, there's no weapons involved whatsoever, no, no stick bow, no high powered rifle, and just said, you need to sneak in. You need to get as close as you can and get in there. You, if you really picked your time and really got intimate with the ground, the weeds, the water, whatever it was, and snuck in there, you'd be amazed how close you can get. Yeah. And and the anxieties as hunters, and particularly in this day and age, I don't know, we've just done it to ourselves. As we get closer, this anxiety starts just skyrocketing. And like you get that's where you get this target panic. Guys draw, come to full draw. They don't even look through their peep. They just shoot. Yeah. Or they half draw their stick bow and they just shoot. Or they don't even look through their scope and and they shoot. I've, I've heard stories of guys racking their bullets through their gun and not yeah. pulling the trigger. That was me, bear charging. Guy, he chambered three rounds and ejected them. Never fired one bullet. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we do this. We culminate into this anxiety of it's all starting to come together. We've, we've, we've been walking on the treadmill. We tried to envision the moose. We've been walking around our neighborhood we've been shooting at our moose target in the backyard and all this stuff culminates but if you really just take a step back slow it down yeah you can i mean i remember when i arrowed my stone sheep it actually was it annoyed me and it was awesome but it took me 11 or 12 hours to get into position or probably eight or nine hours to get in position then i had to wait several hours for them to make a move for me to arrow the ram i wanted and i had a shooter right here at 20 yards but there's a ram that i wanted to kill at 49 and just sitting there with that ram in the wide open at 20 yards for hours, I ended up killing the ram I wanted at 49. But as soon as my arrow hit that ram and I calmed down and that ram obviously died, the group of sheep, the band of rams calmed down. Mm-hmm. And I, they didn't really know what I was. It, I had the wind. I was sitting in the bushes. I was just totally relaxed. The ram I now wanted was dead. So the whole, all the energy that was in the hunt just deflated. And I was able to 
start appreciating guys like you and I, and I'm going to put words in your mouth and you'll probably deny this to my face or after I'm gone, but really guys like you and I are really starting to appreciate those moments going into the hunt, in the hunt, and now after the arrow hits it. We, we used to appreciate it a lot more after the arrow hit the animal. The anxieties came down. We were able to kind of open our eyes and take it in. I think guys like you and I are starting to really take it in on the way, during, and after now. But no, I would I would agree with that, and the stick boats helped me. With and that. that that's yep. that's that's I think that's my biggest reason is that I want to have I just want to have that experience. And when I was sitting there amongst those stone sheep, I had a big, wide, flaring legal ram at eighteen yards, and he's returned to feeding because I just killed the head ram. Yeah, yeah the lead ram. You kill the lead ram that they don't know what to do. Yeah, they're all just <laughs> kind of looking around, chilling out, and starting to eat, and they're wondering why he's laying on his left side. Yeah, and um. And it was just, it's just a really, and that's what Tom Clum said to me, or somebody said to Tom Clum and he forwarded on to me, but he said, uh, yeah, I've always been a stick shooter. I just have never done it. Yeah. I've always been a trad hunter. I just have never done it. Yeah. I would agree with that. Cause you know, obviously I different in, in my journey through this, but now one of the reasons I shoot bigger animals is what you're talking about. That journey along the way takes more time you soak more in you're soaking in everything you know mm-hmm. and, and whether it be what's important to you like photography is important to me so mm-hmm. i'm trying to take photos of this journey along the way and one of the things i noticed is things that you pick up that whether it be animal behavior you talk about terrain mm-hmm. if you're going to write a story like you said on the stone sheet if you really pick apart terrain you wait long enough there's a lot more terrain to work with, right? And and that journey may be an eight-hour one, right, in your case, or, or I've been stuck on bedded deer for hours at a time. A lot happens during that time where you see animals popping up and bedding back down. And I never did that with a compound because I just shoot it at 80 or 100 yards. Or, or some, I, I shot animals a lot closer, too, where, you know, now— um, But if you had a shot at 80, that anxiety pushed you to shoot it. Mm-hmm. Like you came to full draw, you're like, I can settle in. Did you ever go through target panic at all with a compound? A long time ago. Okay, so once you go through that, I think everyone should go through target panic, and I think most have it anyway. But once you go through it, if you're able to see on the other side the clarity that you see, the clarity in your shot process, the execution of pulling through that and having the arrow release as a surprise every time is so unbelievably rewarding. But once you get to that point, that anxiety is pushing you to shoot that animal at 80, you settle in, do your job. and Yeah, I'm going to talk about one thing and then we'll grab Davey here in a few minutes I shot that one big acorn buck in in, yeah. in it's Texas or whatever the cool thing about that I had a county jump you want to shoot one deer per county and so we're oh. running out of counties right yeah. and so the last <laughs> county heck. was like you got to go to you know where you shot your out dad there's no bait there there's no game cameras we got to stand though mm-hmm. it's Thanksgiving day my my wife's in Mississippi visiting family it's cloudy, overcast, the days that I love, right? Mm-hmm. Like, plus it's good for photos because overcast days are great. Winter. And I'm, I'm sitting in this tree stand and I'm like, is this going to happen? You know, there's all these different, you know, is this, should I be back home? Have I made a mistake? Should I went and visit? All this stuff runs through my mind, right? Yeah. And in comes this giant deer. And totally like I got a, a can of Copenhagen in my crotch, my phone in my hand, answering emails, a giant deer is 18 yards in front of me, not looking up. He's looking for what's fighting. And I'm like, okay, well, he's you, not. You rattled him in. Yeah, I was yeah. bouncing horns off the ground. I'm yeah, like, okay, it. he didn't come in to eat. He came in to kick ass. He ain't going to be here for long. He's looking for a deer. Yeah. He does a full circle around my stand 
and the amount of thoughts going through my brain at this time, because he's six, eight yards away. Yeah. And it's not like with a compound, there was less stress because he can go back out there to 40 or 50, 60, and I can still shoot him 80. Yeah. I got to make this happen quick. Wow. Yeah. And I made it happen and I killed him. But the feeling I got after that, shooting it with a stick, was a hundred times more than what I get shooting one with a compound. Yeah. That's one of the other things I'm addicted to is that not just sense of self-fulfillment, because that doesn't sound right. You know, obviously it's what you just did, but it's also how it happened. Like the fact it was, I shot it at eight yards away. It's the largest buck I've ever shot. I did it in the middle of nowhere in a place that nobody would have chosen to go hunt. Yeah. And all of those things, and I did it with a primitive weapon, you just don't get that with a compound. So guys are constantly asking me, because there's deer I haven't been able to shoot or animals with the stick. And they're like, oh, you're thinking about going back to a compound? And I'm like, no, it's just not not appealing to me. I'm not getting that feeling from a compound. And, and I, I know I'm not the most uh, poetic person in the world, but if you were going to write a book on a stick bow, that book's going to be a lot different than I'd write it with a compound. Yeah. You have technology a, it's, with it, a compound. It's your mindfulness, mm -hmm. right? It's your... Like I, I obviously shoot for PSC or maybe it's not obvious, but you obviously know this. And, and when my new PSCs arrive, which is rare, I'm, they're always wanting me to send me a new PSC. And I like the ones that are, yeah. <laughs> that I beat the piss out of already. And, and, um, but when they send one, I truly pick them up, particularly with their carbon one, because they're handmade. I've watched them hand make them. Yeah. I hold it up and I'm just man alive. The technology in this thing is super rad and yeah. i hang it up and i'll look at it it's it looks like a, a race car if you will but when you had you had the people at black widow send me a widow mm -hmm. and then trent winger built me a bow out of montana and sent it to me and i they arrived um just days apart and i had them laying on my kitchen table which is much like this wooden table here at kafaru <laughs> like i'd make food and i was looking at them yeah and i'd i'd be in the living room and i'd peer around the fireplace to see them and I'd walk by and pick them up and it's just entirely different relationship, right? Entirely different um, look, feel. I just can see, uh, I can just see where I want to go with it. And for some reason I'm seeing things like moose, I'm seeing things like doll sheep, which are gun. They, they have to come down the road. I have to start with this. I have to start with a hunt with you and I have to start with this baited bear hunter, or at least I want to, because I want to have you in my hip pocket. Um, it's not that I need you. I want to experience this with you. I want to share this experience throughout as we go through spring. We're both bear hunters. We both have killed a number of bears. And I just think this ride selfishly, Yeah, I'm a man of presence with death. I'm not an afterlife guy. And so my presence is that I want to live because I'm aware that we're dying. And so this my ride this spring is very important to me and and doing it with you and joel and tom and and the sticks and and uh it's just it's selfishly what i want no it makes it makes total sense and and again i'm on the not the tail end i just started but meaning i get it because mm -hmm. i've been going through it mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it, it's it'll i think it'll be pretty i think it'll be pretty epic for people to follow along which yeah. is one of the things i'm excited about is how it happened and whatever. Like if you come out to the house and we're shooting, yeah, I think it'll be cool for people to see that. Yeah. You know? and, and, and we'll do that in March. You know, that kind of, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. So no, it, it's good. But man, I'm going to grab Davey before he gets tired and, and pisses okay. off and takes off. And plus we both got to pee. So yeah. pause for a minute, people.